So technically, actually, this is my second Father's Day because we found out a year ago today that we were pregnant with our baby boy. So, but he's like here now and he, you know, vomits and poops and all that stuff. So it's a lot more exciting uh, this year. I just want to introduce real quick my wife and and baby boy, Asher. This is Alicia and Asher. And uh, yeah, he's four months old in a couple days and... uh, Man, it's cool to be a dad. It's cool to be here with you guys on Father's Day, and it's just an honor. Um, I'm just, I know that Pastor Chad and Amber and their family are on vacation. Can we just praise God for vacation, right? Amen. And just thank God. And, and I know that your pastors work really, really hard, and so that's well-deserved. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just honored to be able to kind of fill in, um, and they're big shoes to fill, but, but we just, we love your pastors so much, and honored to be here today. Um, and so all you, all you Father's Day Happy Father's Day. You guys have been in the middle of a series called Voices, and so Pastor Chad, the first week, talked about um, voices and choices. Good voices result in good choices and, and bad, not-so-good choices, right? And uh, Pastor Colton talked about being a good voice or being a positive voice, godly voice in other people's lives. And so my prayer today, my heart is to be a good voice, to be a right voice, a thing that God has, has placed on my heart to talk about today. I pray that it would be an encouragement and, a, and to point you towards Jesus and, uh, and so I want to talk today about giving to God what is God's. Giving to God what is God's. What I've discovered in my own life is this idea that um, we love the idea of Jesus as Savior, but we struggle with the idea of Jesus as Lord. We love the idea of the grace and the mercy and the love, but the idea of submission and surrender and giving up control, eh, not so much, right? I've struggled with this like, so much. I, I know that, I, I mean, I love forgiveness, but please, Jesus, don't make me give up my sin, right? I mean, it's just, it's just stuff that we deal with and struggle with. And I've been there, and we've all been there, just struggling with this idea of we love Jesus as Savior, but we struggle with Jesus as Lord. The problem is, is that even when we look at one of the textbook scriptures, right, that we, that we see in the Word that talk about um, Jesus being our Savior in Romans chapter 10, we see this idea of lordship in there. So Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 say this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Verse 13 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The idea of lordship is, is this idea of authority or influence or um, master or ruler, and those kind of things. He's, when, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we're saying, hey, you're in charge now, not me anymore. You get to make the decisions. And I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, he's, a, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. But we struggle with that. We struggle with that. And, and I work on a college campus, and so, um, you know, there's this idea... And, and, and we see this in, in my generation, in this generation, so strongly. Like, you're, it's okay if you support me. It's okay if you advocate for me. It's okay if you, you know, affirm me. But it is not okay for you to tell me what to do. Right? 
you can, you can tell me I'm right, but you cannot tell me how to live, and you cannot tell me I'm wrong. That's kind of the, the mentality that we, that we see around us. And, and so that's the banner that my generation is kind of waving, okay? And our students are kind of waving. But the reality is this, is that I'm called to tell you about Jesus and introduce you to Christ and tell you about Scripture. And so whenever we do that, we run up against the fact that uh, Jesus does tell us what to do, and the Scripture does tell us how to live. And so we're going to have a little bit of a clash there there, um, you know, the further we get into just knowing and loving Jesus. And so he's going to shake things up. If we, if we say that he's our savior, we, we also are, are claiming that he's our Lord, but, but where does that authority come from and how do we respond to it? And so I, I want to jump into a passage of scripture that is in Matthew chapter 22, an interaction that Jesus had with some religious leaders that may help us kind of wrestle with that a little bit. Uh, Matthew 22, starting in verse 15 says this, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. These guys are always doing this. They're always trying to get Jesus arrested. Crazy. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. This is so good. They're so kissing up to Jesus. Teacher, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You're impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, that's weird, but we have to understand that the, the Israelites are under Roman rule, under the Roman Empire rule, and so they don't want to be. This is a forceful thing, and so paying taxes, they, we don't like paying taxes today. They really didn't like it then because they didn't like being under Roman rule, and so this is a big deal in their time. But Jesus knew their evil motives in, in verse 18. You hypocrites, he said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin you used, uh, used for the tax. When they handed him the Roman coin, he asked, whose image and title are stamped on it? Now, this is a picture of that coin, the Tiberius Denarius. And uh, this is a very attractive man here on the, the coin. Makes Donald Trump look good, right? I mean, this is scary. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but they say, he says, whose image and title are stamped on it? And, and they, they reply this in, in verse 21, Caesar's, they replied, Well then, Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. The author and apologist Ravi Zacharias uh, talks about this. Obviously, um, these guys didn't really want to know what Jesus thought about that. They they were just, you know, trying to trap him. But, But the obvious follow-up question or the obvious follow-up thought to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's is what is God's? And the answer in Jesus's, you know, way is, is whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? Give to God what is God's, whose image is on you? And if we, if we look in Genesis 1, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Give to God what belongs to God, what belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Whose image is on us? Who do we belong to? God. God, Jesus is Lord. If we believe in Jesus, he is Lord of our life. And what, really, whether we like it or not, right? The, the Lord created this place. He's in charge. So, so there are three questions that I want to ask today to kind of help us grapple with the desire of our hearts to really have Jesus as our Lord. And the first one is this. Do we believe what he says about himself and us? 
Do we believe what he says about himself and us? See, these Pharisees here, they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was a phony. They were trying to get him arrested. They, didn't, they came in you know, kissing up to him. You're so honest and so truthful and so fair. And really, they're just trying to trap him. They, they don't believe in him. They'd rather him be dead or arrested. Obviously, that's what happens. Um, we know the rest of that story. But, but here's the idea. If Jesus is going to be Lord in our lives, we don't want to be like the Pharisees, right? We want to recognize his authority. We need to recognize his authority, Genesis 1.1, the very first scripture in the Bible says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This really should be enough, right? I mean, he created it all. Everything that we know in our universe, it belongs to him. That pretty much seals the thing. And you know, Since I've had a baby, um, I've realized that a lot of people like to tell you how to raise your kids. I mean, it's only been four months, and it's already just happens all the time. You should do this. You should feed them this. You should, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, and I figured out that, uh, you know, everyone's an expert, and no one agrees on anything. I mean, it's the craziest, craziest thing. So I've come to the conclusion that he's my kid. We created him, so we get to raise him the way we want. Now, obviously, disclaimer, I want to raise him to honor the Lord and love the Lord and do things God's way. But, you know, we're majoring on the majors, but the other stuff, that's, that's up to us, right? And, uh, and, and here's the deal. If you want to tell somebody how to raise their kids, you can have some kids of your own and raise them the way that you want to, right? Um, and, and I'm the one that has to answer to God. I'm the one that has the responsibility to raise him and the authority to raise Asher in the way that God has called me to raise him. And I wonder sometimes, it's funny, you know, if God thinks the same thing, he's, you know, when you create your own universe down to the atom, down to the molecule, and you, you know, create right and wrong, and this idea of, you know, animals and people, when you're the one that has, you know, created this universe, then you get to decide how it goes. But until then, you live in the one that I created, and so I have authority over that. The cool thing is that Jesus was there even in creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. John 1 talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was there in creation. The day that he was standing with those Pharisees, he was the one who laid it all out. He's Lord. He is Lord. And the best part about this, that believing in who God says he is and believing what he says about us, is that he is perfect. He's a perfect father. You know, we're talking about Father's Day. I'm going to mess up. I mean, there was a time I tried to take a selfie with him, and I dropped a phone right on his eye, and I thought he was going to be blinded, you know, and he was cross-eyed for a little while, so I was one, really concerned. Um, but God is a perfect father. God is a perfect father. He created us. Not only did he create us and have authority, but he loves us. He longs to have relationship with us. James 1.18 says that we are his prized possession. We're his first fruits. We are his, above all creation, humanity, are his prized possession. We have value. We have value. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, as, as human beings, are God's masterpiece, created to do good works. He thinks good things about us. He loves us deeply. And the even better part is Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So not only did he create us, not only does he love us, but he sent Jesus so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be in relationship with him. And when we believe in him, his spirit actually lives in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. This is huge. This is huge. 
So not only is he just a creator and he just drops it all and walks away, but he wants to be invested in our lives. He's a good and perfect father. He could take a messed up dude in his early 20s that was running from God like me, that I looked like I had it all together, but I was a huge mess and totally empty inside. And he said, I look at you in your brokenness and I love you. And I sent Jesus to die for you. I sent Jesus to change you and make you right with me. That is incredible. Surely I can recognize the authority of a person who created the universe, created me, knows all of our faults and failures, still loves us, and went to great lengths to to bring us into relationship with him. Surely we can recognize the authority of someone like that. The second question is this. Do we really want to hear what he has to say? Do we really want to hear what he has to say? Because the Pharisees in this, in this passage, they don't believe in who he was, but they also don't want to hear what he has to say. They want to hear the answer they were looking for so that he could get arrested and thrown in prison. When he didn't answer the way they wanted, they didn't even know what to do. They're just like, oh, um, see you later. Okay, so they, they walk away because they don't know what to do. They weren't at all interested in what Jesus was teaching or what he was saying. They heard what he said, but they weren't listening. They heard it, but they weren't listening. They weren't interested in following him. We need to listen to his word. We need to listen to his word. We struggle with the same thing, the same thing all the time, don't we? Like we want to hear from the Lord as long as he's saying what we already want to do. <laughs> we want, or what we've already started doing. You know, Lord, just bless this mess that I got into and help me get out of it, you know. Um, if you'll just tell me how to fix it. You know, I'll let you speak into that. <laughs> that would be awesome. But, but Psalms 119, 103 through 105 says this, How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. His word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We, we need to stop <laughs> letting him be the reverse light. <laughs> to our feet and our path, right? So we're just like, God, give me some light to get out of this mess. Beep, beep, beep. And we're saying things that sound like beep, beep. You know, like we're trying to get out. We need to let him be the lamp to our feet, going forward, moving forward, asking him what he would have for us. We say, man, I want a word from the Lord, but, but we don't really read and treasure scripture like we could. We don't see the scripture as a sweet thing. Like scripture says, like, honey, I want more of that. I want more of his word. I desire that. We struggle with that so much. We ask God to speak to us in situations, and, and, and I just imagine him sometimes saying, I did. I did speak. I actually, I already spoke. I gave you a book that has 66 books in it. Four of them are about my son, who was a perfect example of how to live, how to you know, do these things. I mean, I, I did. I gave you a collection of these books that, that, that tell you what to do. Man, I'm struggling with this relationship with my coworker. I just want to punch him in the face. And God says, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies, right? I'm struggling in this relationship with my wife. You know, uh, Ephesians 5.25 says, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Pray for your enemies, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. I'm struggling with money, or I need to know what to do with my money, or what investments to make. And, and, and the Bible already says tithe. You know, give generously. You can't serve both God and money. This church is incredible. There's no other place that will give you a money-back guarantee on your tithes, okay? This is awesome. I, I challenge you to do that. 
I challenge you to do that. The thing is that God's already spoken about so many things, and it's here for us to read. It's here for us to dive into it. And I'm not saying that God doesn't give us specific words. He absolutely does. But they have to align with this. If we don't know this and we're trying to hear from him, how, how do we know if it lines up? Otherwise, you end up like the two college guys that both heard from the Lord that they're supposed to marry the same girl, you know? <laughs> this happens, and she doesn't love Jesus or them, you know? It's just, and so instead of, you know, going to class, they're following this girl around when really they need to be honoring God with the way that they do their, um, you know, work and their school. And so if you don't know this, you can't run through these things that God's been speaking to you through the, through the word, you're going to be in trouble. We have to want to hear what he has to say and listen to his word. Around the time that Alicia and I were getting married, we, we started praying this bold prayer of, uh, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do in Colorado. God, we'll, we'll go wherever you call us to, to go in the mountains, Lord, whatever you want. Now, I'm exaggerating slightly, but that was our prayers. Like, God, we love, we love the mountains. We love Colorado. I mean, we eventually, you know, uh, vacation there, had our honeymoon in Colorado, and so we just love the mountains. God, just... just Just send us to a place. I mean, we have a picture of Colorado here. Send us to a place where we could just enjoy your majesty. They have spring and summer and fall and winter. And it's just, you wake up in them and they have, I mean, there's something to do year round. God, send us to this beautiful place called Colorado. And he calls us to Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) It's flat. And it's hot, and there's no elevation, and there's no trees, and, and it's just, it's crazy. Our four seasons are hail, sweaty, really sweaty, and ice. That's what we get in Fort Worth. God called us to Fort Worth, and if I could be totally honest with you, I was frustrated by that initially. I didn't want to live in Texas anymore. I grew up in West Texas, okay, out in San Angelo, Texas, and we're going to Fort Worth where the wannabe West begins, I, I, you know, whatever that means. Don't, hey, hey, I live, I live three hours west of here. That's not even West Texas, okay? Go to El Paso, talk to me about West Texas. All right. But we really did want to hear what God had to say. And believe it or not, we love it. We love it in Fort Worth. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I wouldn't want to be serving God anywhere else. We get to lead students to Jesus at the most influential college campus in this area. Praise God. And here's the thing. We get to go to mission trips to Colorado. So we take students to, and we have church planner friends, okay, that, that minister in Colorado. And here's the deal. They have to minister to witches and, uh, and potheads and, and ski bums and hippies, okay? I mean, they're, they're surrounded by more pot than the kitchen section at Bed Bath & Beyond, okay? It's everywhere. <laughs> It's everywhere. You go to the convenience store and you gas up and you grass up. That's what Colorado is like. It's crazy. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we listened to the call of God to be here in Fort Worth. I'm grateful that he's given us his word. For all the other moments in our lives, too, that we don't hear that specific word from God. That we can run our choices in our life through. His word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We just have to want to listen, to hear and listen and obey. If we believe and we listen, the third question is this, do we trust him? Do we trust him? When we look at the Pharisees' reaction in this passage, it's the saddest part to me. Their reaction is the saddest part because they were amazed and they walked away. 
They were blown away by what he said, but not changed by it. They didn't follow Jesus. They walked away from him. They heard him. They were amazed, but they didn't trust him with their lives. They walked away unchanged. And that's one of the saddest things that I've seen. I've seen myself do this. Okay, I've seen students do this in ministry. It breaks my heart when people are amazed, but they walk away. That word, that trust doesn't get into them. We hear a great teaching or encounter, just have an encounter with Jesus and go, that was incredible, but I don't trust him. That was cool, but I'm not going to give everything to him. Instead of following him, you know, we hear it say, we hear it say it's amazing and we walk away. If we believe who he is and we want to hear what we have to say, we have to be willing to walk in his wisdom, to walk in his wisdom. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult, even if it means that our lives are shaken up pretty drastically, we have to trust that when Jesus speaks, we can trust his wisdom and walk in it. If he is Lord and we're his children, even if he brings us somewhere difficult, we can trust him. We can trust him with everything. One of my favorite scriptures is John 10.10. Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And have it to the full. The enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life to the full. Abundantly, some of the translations say. More than you can imagine. Fuller than you could ever dream of. The interesting thing here is that, is that Jesus doesn't say it's an easy life. Free of difficulty, right? He doesn't say that it's an extremely financially prosperous life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that it's a life free from relational tension or family struggles. It's, he says it's a life to the full. It's not empty. He doesn't promise a lot of things that we want to read into that, but he does promise that our life will not be empty. It will be full. It will be full of hope and grace and his presence. Full of him. Is there anything better than that? One of the ways that the enemy does steal, kill, and destroy is that he gives us the things that we do want to distract us from the Lord. He'll give you a ton of stuff it'll keep you, if it'll keep you from following Jesus. And giving your all to Jesus. Everything that comes from the enemy or just following after the things of, that aren't of God will leave us empty. I can assure you of that. I've lived that in my own life. But Jesus offers life to the full. I mean, it's like going to the Chinese buffet and you could eat there for like two hours. And when you leave, like literally 15 minutes later, you're hungry again. I don't know how that works. But that's what it's like, you know, uh, living for the world and living for the things that are not of God. I mean, you could take it all in, but ultimately it's going to leave you empty. You need something else. Trusting God and choosing to walk in his wisdom may not be easy, but at least it satisfies our soul. I'll give you an example. We have a student at our campus named Sean Denis. And we met Sean Denis a year ago uh, in the fall. And uh, she's from America. She's from California. And she was raised in a Hindu home. So she was raised Hindu. And we met her and, and she had met some people that were Christians were kind of curious about Christianity, and uh, she, we began to read scripture with her, and she began to kind of share her story, and she said, all my life I've been working so hard to find the God or the gods of Hinduism, to make this real connection, and I've never felt it. I've never felt a God. I've never felt these gods, and I've done everything right. I've done everything I'm supposed to, temple, all this stuff, but I've never felt God. She begins to read the scripture, and she begins to read about Jesus, and she goes, this guy's personal. He was a real person that was God that walked the earth. And as she began to read and as she began to spend time in Christian community, she began to experience the presence of God. 
And she's like, this is real. This is real. Eventually, she decided last December to give her heart to the Lord. She gave her life to Christ. And we praise God for that. What happened afterwards was, was kind of a shock to us. I mean, she knew it was coming, but she's faced so much persecution from her family. So much persecution. Because they think, you know, she's giving up her culture. She's giving up her, everything that she was raised in. They've said some things to her that absolutely break our hearts. We're scared for her at times. You know, when Jesus says that some people have to give up children, I mean, not children, uh, you know, brothers and mother, you know, break those relationships with people. I didn't realize that people actually had to do that until we met Shandani. And so she's come to a point where actually she's had to break financially away from her family completely, almost fully relationally. And she can't go to TCU anymore. She has to go to a, a place that she can actually afford to go to school because she's, she's walking this out. You know, not on her own in the sense that we have a family and the family of God, but without her family support. The last, last worship service of the school year at TCU, we were, I was talking to her, and I just, she was telling me kind of the, the new things that were happening and kind of what her future would look like. And I just looked at her and I said, was it worth it? Like, seriously, you lost everything. Was it worth it? She, she just looked at me right in the eye and she said, yeah, it's the truth. It's the truth. Of course. She has a fuller life than she ever had before and what she did before. Man, I'm just, you know, crying because I know what she's given up. Actually, I don't really know what she's given up, but I can see that it's, it's taken a toll on her, but she loves Jesus and she has a full life in him. Fuller than it's ever been. We have to get to that point where we trust him in that way. Maybe it doesn't look like, you know, breaking away for our fam- from our family. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to leave the financial security of the job that's sucking the life out of you so that you can do something that God, you know, is distracting you from your relationship with God so that you can do something that God's calling you to. Maybe it's time to either marry the person you're living with or break it off. Maybe it's time to cancel the cable package because it's getting in the way of your family's relationship. If my wife was in here, she'd say amen. <laughs> Maybe it's time to trust him. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Give me any number of things. But maybe it's time to trust him and not just walk away amazed at what could happen if I followed Jesus. What would happen if I actually did? Don't walk away, but walk towards him. Follow him into the, way, in the ways that he's calling us to be, in the way that he's calling us to live. If we're going to give to God what is God's, if we're going to make Jesus our Lord, we've got to believe in who he is and who he says that we are. We have to be willing and able and, and, and wanting to listen to and obey him. And we've got to be able to trust him even and follow him even when it's difficult. I want us to be people of God that not only have a Savior, but have a Lord that we fully love and fully trust. I mean, if we're living in a kingdom, there is a king, right? He's worth following. Life to the full.